Welcome to the Unabridged Podcast. I'm Ashley. And this is Jen. Join us for bookish episodes and check out our website, unabridgedpod.com, where you can find lots of new bookish content to grow your TBR. Sign up for our newsletter to find out more about online book discussions and upcoming events. Find us on Patreon for extra unabridged content. Join us on Instagram and Facebook at Unabridged Pod and message us there or see our website to get plugged into the Unabridged community. You want opinions about books? We've got them. Hi, and welcome to episode 264. This is our December book club pick. It, we are going to be discussing Marie Helene Bertino's 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas. Before we get into our discussion, I just wanted to remind you that we are putting out an episode every month on Patreon, and so you get bonus content on there. And we also have this season, we have started doing bonus guides and things like that, like something that is not an episode each month as well. So some kind of text something. And those are coming to Patreon subscribers. We appreciate your support so much. It is what keeps the podcast running. So if you want to support us, it does not take much on your side to give some financial support, but it really does make a big difference. We try to keep our costs low, but we do try to cover the costs of the podcast. And so that's what we use that for. You can get to it at patreon.com slash unabridgedpod. It's also on our website. Uh, Let's get into our bookish check-in before we talk about our book club pick. Jen, what are you reading? I am reading Angie Kim's Happiness Falls, which is, I believe, her second book. So her first was Miracle Creek, which I also read. So far, I'm liking this one even more. So the premise here is fascinating. It is narrated by Mia, who is one of three children in her Korean-American family. They live in Virginia. So she has a twin brother and then a younger brother named Eugene. And Eugene has a condition called Angelman Syndrome, which means he cannot speak or communicate. So it's not like he could write everything down. He has difficulty communicating at all. And so one day Mia is in the front yard of their home. Her dad had taken Eugene on a hike and she's out front and her brother, Eugene, by himself comes barreling into the yard, shoves her and then goes into the house and her dad is nowhere in sight and they never leave Eugene alone. He has some other delays because of this syndrome as well. So he's never alone. So there's a whole series of complex circumstances that mean at first she's not questioning where her dad is. But then of course, eventually, her whole family is wondering where the father is. And he does not come back. So they are trying to find out what happened to their father. Eugene can't tell them anything. And the police get involved And yeah, that's kind of where I am, that the police are involved. They're looking, you know, they're part of the search, but they also want to interview Eugene, which is not possible. So it's fascinating so far. Mia has a really strong voice. She has, she is incredibly intelligent, but not particularly social And so you see all of these moments where she is overthinking something that then causes her to miss a cue from the person. And she's telling the story looking back. So she's highlighting these moments of, 
I wish I'd known then what I know now, or I wish I'd picked up on this thing that I noticed later, which is a really interesting way to tell this kind of suspenseful story. So yeah, so far, I'm really captivated. I think it's really fascinating. And it's very well written. So it's nice when you get a suspense book that also features really strong writing. So that is Angie Kim's Happiness Falls. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. I I remembered seeing things about Miracle Creek, which I have not read. But that one, that sounds... I think this is one of Reese's picks. It's on somebody's list. Maybe it's Good Morning America. I can't write... This sticker's on the book, but I don't have it right in front of me. I've been seeing it around Bookstagram. I know other folks are reading it, and they really like the way it wrapped up. So... We shall see what I think. How about you, Ashley? What are you reading? One of the ones I'm reading right now is Mike Gale's All the Lonely People. And I just started this and I love it. It is about Hubert Bird, who is an elderly man who lives alone. And he is a Jamaican widower living in England. He has a daughter, Rose, who is a professor, and she got a job as a professor in Australia. And because of that, she, of course, is very far away. And so he adores her and looks forward to her calling every week, but he in his effort to convince her that he has a happy life and everything is fine, he has also gotten into this very intricate web of lies about what his life is like that involves a lot of other people. And he keeps these notes in a notebook of these characters he's invented, who he tells her about in his weekly, like, phone call. And... So so a lot of it, so the book at the beginning, you you alternate between now and then. And then is the unfurling of how he wound up in England, how he met Joyce, his wife, who has passed away, how they came to have Rose. And so you are getting the whole backstory of his early life. And then we have him as a curmudgeonly 84-year-old man who does not want to have to interact with anyone is very set in his ways and lives a very isolated life, contrary to the stories he tells his daughter every week on the phone calls. Well, very early on the book, Rose has a very exciting announcement, and her exciting (laughs) announcement is that she's coming to visit after all this time. (laughs) And again, he adores her. He's just like such a lovable character. He adores her, (laughs) and he's immediately like, oh, no. So she calls him like late at night to be like, I got this plane ticket. I just couldn't wait to tell you. I'm so excited. And it's a few months away. And so he is frantically trying to figure out how on earth he is going to fix this problem because he's like, she's going to be so mad that he's lied this whole time, (laughs) this whole time. But it also, you know, because we're seeing it from his perspective, we also see how it was just these tiny little things that became bigger and bigger <laughs> until he was telling these like very elaborate fictions that have become an you know integral part of what she views as his life and so of course he's like she's going to be furious that he's been lying and she's going to worry about him being all by himself even though of course in his mind he's totally fine so <laughs> that is the premise and i haven't read much of it but oh my gosh i am 
loving it. And I think I'm curious to see where it goes, but you know, the biggest thing I'm start we're starting to see in the now part of the book is as he's preparing for Rose to come, he's recognizing that he has to like change his behavior to be a bit more open is the word he keeps using. And so he's like, if I were more open, what, what thing would I do? And then he'll like, you know, talk to the person who drops off the parcel at his apartment when he normally would have just shut the door in their face, in their face, you know, and stuff like that. And so you're kind of seeing this, him coming to see himself in a different light and he's beginning to make these tiny little differences in the choices that he's making and so I mean I am absolutely loving it it's been a really it's just a it's a very sweet story and even though it there there is some heartache for sure in the fact that he's isolated and also that he's starting to realize how isolated he is so some of it is just like as he's trying to fix this problem he's starting to recognize just how long it's been since he's had some of these connections but it's also just like beautifully told and I'm really really loving it so again that is Mike Gale's All the Lonely People and I am so interested to see what happens <laughs> I've seen such good things about that, but it's another one of those that I had a vague idea what it was about. I did not realize the full extent of the plot. That sounds so great. Yeah, well, I love it. I think, you know, we don't, I I like to see like older characters represented in in full, you know, fully featured and um, we really see him not as kind of a simple side character, but instead as the, you know, he's the protagonist and we're really seeing both his life as it was for him in his youth, but also where he is now. And I think that's really great. So, well, today we are diving into 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas, which is our December book club pick. I am going to read a quick synopsis and then we will dive into our discussion. This is the publisher's synopsis. I did not know how to summarize this one on my own. (laughs) So I'm going to go. There's a lot of moving parts here, but I'm going to go with what they had to say. Madeline Altamari is a smart-mouthed, precocious nine-year-old and an aspiring jazz singer. As she mourns the recent death of her mother, she doesn't realize that on Christmas Eve she's about to have the most extraordinary day and night of her life. After bravely facing down mean-spirited classmates and rejection at school, Madeline doggedly searches for Philadelphia's legendary jazz club, The Cat's Pajamas, where she's determined to make her onstage debut. On the same day, her fifth-grade teacher, Serena Green, who's just moved back to Philly after a divorce, is nervously looking forward to a dinner party that will reunite her with an old high school crush, afraid to hope that sparks might fly again. And across town at the Cat's Pajamas, club owner Lorca discovers that his beloved haunt may have to close forever unless someone can find a way to quickly raise the $30,000 that would save it. As these three lost souls search for love, music, and hope on the snow-covered streets of Philadelphia, together they will discover life's endless possibilities over the course of one magical night. A vivacious, charming, and moving debut, 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas, will capture your heart and have you laughing out loud. Jen, what are your overall impressions? So I really liked this book. I will say the whimsy is really strong, and I was not necessarily in the mindset for a whimsical book. So I feel as if, if I had read this at a different time, I think I would have loved it. 
I'm going to stick with I really liked it. And there's a lot to admire. And I think the writing is really strong. And I think I really appreciated the way there are complex relationships between these characters that show you that family has to sometimes go beyond the people to whom you're bound by blood. And I think I really appreciated all of that. There was something holding me back from absolutely loving it. We talked right before we started recording that it's not a terribly long book, but it didn't read really fast for me. And I think part of that is just I've got a lot going on right now. And I think, again, that ties back to maybe I wasn't in the best mindset for this, but it took me a little while to get immersed in all of the characters. So overall, I really did like it. I didn't quite love it. How about you, Ashley? Yeah, I was curious to hear what you were going to say, because I was thinking... Maybe you would really love it, but I found that I'm just going to admit it that that I felt like I was too lazy to do the work that I felt like I needed to do to figure out how all the stuff was going to fit together. Mm-hmm. So I felt like there are tons of characters, and I was having trouble keeping them all straight, and I was having trouble keeping up with who was doing what when, and. Because of that, I thought, oh my gosh, this should be – I mean, it's it's a very smart book. It mm-hmm. it has all of this beautifully woven stuff happening. I loved all the commentary about jazz. But again, I wanted to appreciate it in a way that I felt like I wasn't really appreciating it. So it's like I could see from afar the way that the things were working – but I was like, oh, gosh, this is – I mean, it felt like <laughs> – and I mean, I, so it's funny to hear you say that about the timing and stuff, Jen, mm-hmm. because I'm like, that's what I wanted to say, too, is like I kept thinking maybe it's just the time that I'm reading it. Like, it, this is a very busy time of year. And I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I did not set enough, side, as, enough time aside to read this because it is not breezing along. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not very long, but it did. I was thinking, oh, my gosh, I got to hurry up because I – need to, you know, get make my way through it. And I thought I gave myself plenty of time. And then it just was a lot of work, I felt like, to get to know who everybody was and how they all fit together. And so the longer the story went, the more I enjoyed it. But I did feel because of the disparate parts, because I was having to take quite a while to get my footing and how those parts fit together. And and, I mean, of course they don't at first, but you have to, you have to know what each of those storylines are that it, you know, it was hard for me to, I I would say the same that I felt like I liked, but did not love a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot of it, even though I did appreciate a lot of the things that are going on in the book. So what is something that worked for you? There's actually a lot, despite what I said at the beginning, there's a lot that worked for me. I think the thing I'll focus on is just this structure that Bertino places over the book that it is all taking place in one night. And each chapter, if you've read it, you know, each chapter has a time. So most of it moves chronologically forward. There is, I think, only one place where you go backwards and then forwards again. If there are more, I did not catch them. But yeah, I think that works really well because you see both that this night is really meaningful to these characters and that in some ways, you know, Madeline gets to sing, Lorca loses the club and that turns out as if it might be a good thing. He also has this big moment with his son. Yeah. You see that 
there are things that are changing, but there's also a definite sense that they may not change that much, right? Madeline is still going back to a home where her father is sleeping most of the time, is on the edge of being abusive. She has, I mean, this is me being the daughter of a public health nurse, but she has lice and I'm sorry, giving her a good shampoo is not going to get, I was like, oh my gosh, I'll just, full disclosure, my kids had lice and it was like a week's worth of work to clean up our entire house and everything they touched. And, you know, so I was just like, so this this little girl is going to have lice for a really long time. She's at a school where people are not supporting her, where she has a couple of, so in some ways it's sort of sad that their lives are not probably going to change a lot for the better, but also that this is the way life works and that progress, forward progress comes in small increments And so for some of them, this small moment of triumph or this small connection that two characters might make, like Serena and Ben, this this connection that they make could change something, but that they are going to have to do things to continue making these changes stick. So Lorca can't have this one breakthrough moment with his son and then throw his hands up and go back to the way he was acting before. So it's like these, so I really, I really like that, that emphasis on there is hope, but it's not easy hope. It's it's hope that you're going to have to work to make it come to fruition. And I think all of that's reinforced by the structure Bertino chose that it is taking place over, I mean, it's less than 24 hours, right? I, I would have to go back and check, but yeah, it's not even quite 24 hours. So yeah, I really, that worked really well for me. I think, again, like you said, it's a really smart book. I think that's a really smart way to approach this evening. How about you, Ashley? What's one thing that worked for you? Yeah, I think that something I really appreciated was the layered relationships in the book and the way that sometimes we know the right thing and we still can't do it. I think there's a lot of that in the book and that that both creates missed opportunities and also lasting repercussions. And I think a lot of it, I mean, that's what when I was reading the summary, I felt like where it ends with the has you laughing out loud, I thought a lot of the book was quite sad. And, yes. and there's nothing wrong with I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. I just didn't feel I felt like a lot of it, there is a melancholy that you carry. And I mean, jazz is not known for yeah. it. I mean, it Jazz is deeply resonant, but I would not say that very often. I mean, there's some song, and there are some songs in there that are beautiful and happy, but a lot of jazz is about heartache. And I felt like there were a lot of situations over and over again where people don't give up on these relationships, but the relationship is really fraught. I mean, like like Madeline and her father. Oh my goodness! Yeah. And you understand that he is dysfunctional because he lost his wife that he loved so very much, but he can't carry on to take care of his child. And yet no one's interceding in the situation. And then the ways that they do like at the school only exacerbates Madeline's already dire circumstances. And so I feel like, and same with Serena and Ben, I think it's sweet to see the things that are happening on this whimsical evening But the way that he treated her at prom profoundly shaped who she is as an adult 
in a way that that is true. I mean, that is true that happens in life. And that also is really sad because mm-hmm. we see that whole backstory and how it's basically just bad advice that he took that made him treat her so poorly when actually he really adored her. And so then because of that, she develops these insecurities that profoundly plague her and her adult life. I mean, so I feel like there's just, there are a lot of missed opportunities in the story. There are these moments that I think are really beautiful and transcendent. When Madeline finally sings, I mean, I think we do feel this moment of triumph for someone who has such raw talent and to finally be able to display it in a way that people can see it. But then there's so much of it that is this just, I mean, Lorca, like Lorca was a character who I really loved and I felt like over and over again, he just couldn't get it right. And I felt like that part I think was very human, I think, and again, and very smart. I mean, I think that the book was told in this really interesting way, but I mean, I felt some melancholy about all of that. Yeah. I mean, the more you're talking, I'm thinking this is hitting on some of my reservations about the book, because if you're a Patreon supporter and you heard the conversation where we chose this, I was thinking this would be this light read for December. And so I was expecting the whimsy, but I thought it was going to be a much more joyful, you know, cute story about this kid who wants to sing at a jazz club. And so it's the night that gets her there. And instead, it's like a roach-infested apartment with an addict father who, in that one scene... Oh, my gosh. ...is definitely abusive. So, yeah, I think maybe that's... It was my expectation versus the reality of what the book is. And, you know, that's something we always deal with as we go in having heard... I've heard the hosts of the Book Riot, the podcast, talk about this one. And my impression was just very different, that it was... Yeah, so maybe that's where my like, not love was coming from, that I went in with one expectation. And I don't think it makes it a lesser book. I actually maybe think it's a stronger book than I thought it would be. I just was expecting the whimsy to be attached to a lighter story. Right. Whereas I felt like, yes, and I think like all of that maybe sounded negative and I was saying what worked for me, but like it that did work for me. Like this raw human connection Mm -hmm. slash missed connections really worked for me in the book, but it, it was kind of heartbreaking and, and in, in like that everyday life heartbreaking kind of way, like Mm -hmm. that, you know, hard things happen and we miss out on things that we really want and that that is just part of life. And that, that also that things can slip away in a moment and that sometimes that's not terrible like like you said about Lorca, I mean, I think we see how it could that club slips away from him, but maybe actually that's good. Yeah. But it's also like on the turn of a dime. I mean, it's like, you know, they of course they had these bazillion violations, but they'd had them all this time and no one had cared at all. And then all of a sudden it hadn't even been twenty four hours and the club is already closing. Yeah. And I thought that scene between him and the officer was an, another time that I just thought was really lovely where the officer's like did you not understand? Like, <laughs> he's like, did you not get what I was saying? Like, it hasn't even been 24 hours. And, and where Lorca's like, you did all you could. I mean, this idea yeah. of like, don't carry this on you because like, this is the way this is inevitably going to play out kind of that I thought was, yeah, powerful, but, but also sad. And like you said about the whimsy, Jen, I think like, 
there is, it's almost like magical realism. Yes. And so these things are happening, but in this, in this way that suggests that the music, for example, just brings about a transcendent moment mm-hmm. that other, in what is otherwise a pretty dreary situation, a, a pretty dreary reality. And that, that moment rises above and like that that's Mm -hmm. what's beautiful but also that doesn't take us away from the stark reality of the nine-year-old kid who's traipsing across philadelphia Mm -hmm. to go sing at this club and then nobody even notice it i mean you know so i think yeah there's there's a lot of that of like people who care but that their care and their love and their concern is so limited is so limited in the face of the obstacles and i do think it's a really Ultimately, it's a gracious book. Like it, it gives a lot of grace to like the principal, uh, Randall's. You know, I I really disliked her for a lot of the book, and then you have these moments where Bertino like highlights the reason she's acting the way she is, and that doesn't mean it's any better for Madeline. Or but excuse you her. I feel like it doesn't excuse right. her. It just paints her in a more full right. picture. Like you see her, you see more sides. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's an interesting one. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's share quotes. What is a quote that you would like to discuss? So the quote I am going to read, I'm going to just summarize a little bit and then I'll read the part I want to read. So there's this part with Mrs. Santiago, who is this caretaker for Madeline and for a lot of characters and dogs in, in the story, <laughs> gets to hear Madeline sing. And it is this transcendent moment. And you know, this is straightforward magical realism. She starts floating. And Philadelphia, who is this interesting presence in the book, tries to bring her back down to the work she has to do and that populates her every day. But it says, Mrs. Santiago swims to make up ground and flaps higher. Above the mural, exulting out of the brick. Above the dead rooftop gardens, trowels paused in dirt. Beyond the indescribable alloy the fire escapes make with the sun, Mrs. Santiago soars. Above the hard-backed stadium scowling in the dawn, toward the slivered moon and loitering stars now fading, beyond the sill of William Penn. Not today, Philadelphia. Bring your sorry shit back tomorrow. And I just love that so much because I think, I mean, that goes with what I was talking about with the, it's not that Mrs. Santiago isn't going to be back tomorrow doing all of the same chores and trying to care for this little girl who needs a lot of support. It is this moment where it shows that art can make a difference and that Madeline's talent and Madeline's joy brings joy to someone else and gives her this brief reprieve from the everyday. And I think that really encapsulates the hopefulness of the book that it's not easy hopefulness, but that it, it, there is hope that you can transcend the moment and, and your daily life. I really love it. And that's, and you heard there, I mean, I'm sure if you've read it, you know, but the beauty of the writing, it's poetry. It's, I marked so many quotations in this book and a lot of them were out of context, but it's just because the sentences are just absolutely gorgeous. So I really love that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I'm glad you talked about her because I think she's so important. And then like Pedro, the dog. Yeah. <laughs> and his wanderlust. I think all that was really great. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Ashley? What's your quote? I went with this is when Jack Lorca is thinking about when his father, Francis, died. And he died very abruptly in the bar. And so Lorca is there with him. He just passes out, hits his head, and and dies and um so 
the quote is, we carry our ancestors in our names, and sometimes we carry our ancestors through the sliding doors of emergency rooms, and either way, they are heavy. Either way, we can't escape. I found that passage really powerful, and I think it kind of goes with what we talked about, that this, I mean, there are a lot of really sad things in this book. I think that that passage is really sad, but it also is how, it's about, I think the book is a lot about how what we carry, the things we carry that make us the people that we are, and how those things sometimes help us have these really rich moments, and sometimes cause us to miss chances on a lot of things. And I think with Lorca, we see so much, we hope for him that he will connect with his son, that he will make things up with Luisa, that those things are going to get better for him. And yet we see how hard his circumstances are and have been and what he carries. And, you know, we see that in this moment about his dad, but we see it with the band and all of the members that he, in a lot of ways, is just so responsible for. I mean, he's housing them. He is gathering them up every time they go on whatever wild rampage and trying to get them back together. And then we see the way that even the snakehead, you know, that he has this precious guitar that is worth all this money and that he treasures it, but it's also... A, a weight that he carries mm-hmm. and that it's only in that moment when they, when he, you know, then he's going to sell it, which is heartbreaking, but also like seems to be a solution. And then it's not a solution because again, all of it is so fragile. Everything is such on the turn of a dime, you know? And so all it takes is that getting damaged and then all of a sudden he's back to zero and the club's going to close. And so I, I loved that passage. I think it really is lovely, but also encapsulates a lot of what I felt was the tone of the book, which is just that there is a lot of beauty, but it's also amid hardship and and heaviness. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a beautiful one. And, it, and I keep coming back to that moment for Lorca when getting back to zero feels like a fresh start for him. And so he has cherished these things that he carries. But it is, like you said, it's a weight that he's carrying. I think that's such a brilliant consideration through the book of when holding on can hold you back and when sometimes it's better to let go and how that that choice is not an easy one or an obvious one. Okay, well, what about pairings? Jen, what is your pairing for this, oh, I see yours on the sheet here. That is a good one. Yeah. <laughs> What's your pairing? <laughs> <laughs> so my pairing is my grandmother asked me to tell you she's sorry by Frederick Bachman. And this was our very, the subject of our very first episode of Unabridged. Yeah, the, it's not available in the feed anymore. The quality was so, so bad because we were gathered around a single really bad USB mic in my sunroom. But that book has stuck with me. And I think is such a great pairing for Madeline's story. So in Bachman's book, Elsa is a seven-year-old girl whose grandmother has just died. And Elsa's grandmother, much like Madeline's mom, was her anchor, her inspiration, her support. And when Elsa's grandmother died, she left her this list and these letters that she was supposed to deliver to people that she had wronged in some way. So Elsa's on this quest 
which also is a way her grandmother found a way to get Elsa to talk to people and to give her this web of connections and of people after she died. So it was almost like this inheritance that she passed down to her. And so I think you can hear just in what I'm talking about, just as in 2am at the cat's pajamas, there is grief and there is sadness and there is this attempt at recovery And there's also a whimsical tone. And if you've read Bachman, you get that, right? That there's this, even in the midst of heartache, there is whimsy and there's joy and there's laughter. And there are a lot of quirky characters. And my grandmother asked me to tell you she's sorry. And you see this sense of found family and of characters making difficult choices about the courses of their life. So yeah, I just, the more I thought about this book in relation to Madeline, particularly her storyline in 2am at the cat's pajamas, the more I think if you liked that, if you gravitated toward that, you could find similar qualities in Bachman's book. So that is my, that is my pick. I should say the title again, even though it's so long. So that is Frederick Bachman's My Grandmother Asked Me to Tell You She's Sorry. Oh, that's such a good one, Jen. I mean, that is a spot on pairing. I love it. And yeah, a great story. Another very precocious young protagonist. Yeah, I love it. I did keep thinking that Madeline was older than nine. Yeah. And I think that's just circumstances. But yeah, even when you were reading the synopsis, I was like, oh, that's right. I kept thinking she was like 12 or, you know, on the cusp of middle school at least. But she's so young. Yeah. What's your pick, Ashley? So I went with this one is a young adult book, but I wanted to share. This is Abdi Nazimian's Like a Love Story. And the reason, there are a lot of reasons I picked this, but the two things I think are the most significant as far as the pairing are, one, that it takes place in New York City in 1989, and the setting is very important. And so a lot of how, like, Philadelphia, I feel like, is a character in this story, New York City, both the time and the place are very significant in Like a Love Story. And so I thought of it for that reason. And also, there is a big focus on music in this one. And Madonna is the really central musical focus. But I felt like this idea of like that, that music can change lives, that music can make a difference in the world, like that idea, and that music can unite people. I felt like that part was really similar. And so those two things are why I thought it had the most in common. But Like a Love Story, I have talked about at some point on here. I absolutely love this book. So it has, there are three characters. Reza is an Iranian boy. He just has come to the U.S. He's with his mom. They come from Iran. And they are living with his stepfather and his stepbrother. And so he is trying to adjust to high school. And then he meets Judy and Art. Judy and Art are best friends. Art is the only openly gay student at the high school. And Judy is his best friend. She's very into design and uh, creating stuff. And so the two of them are really close. And then Judy has an uncle who has AIDS and is an activist. And so they really adore him and are connected to him and art especially has a strong connection with him because of advocating for gay rights and also amid the AIDS crisis and all of the horrific treatment that the gay community experienced during the 1980s and 90s, you know, you're seeing um, people who are activists and trying to advocate for 
I mean, for healthcare rights, but also for like human rights. And so um, there's a lot of that component as well. So I think, like I said, the things that really resonated to me as far as the two were about that idea with music and also about the city being a component of our lives and like part of our lives. And we really see that like because Reza is new to New York City and new to the U.S., you see him learning about the city. And so I thought that was important. And then also there are a lot of disparate parts that come together. And so I felt like that was similar to this one as well. So, and and also I wanted to recommend it because I loved this. I think it is a phenomenal book and I haven't seen a ton of people talk about it, but I just felt like it is a great book and I do think it's a good pairing. So again, that's Abdi Nazimian's Like a Love Story. That one has been on my list since the last time you talked about it and I still have not read it. It's but, so good, Jen. Yeah. Eventually, maybe we'll do it as a buddy read. It's a, I mean, it's a really yeah. good book and one that I just think hasn't been super well. It hasn't like made the circuits, I guess, but but it, I thought it was really outstanding. But any, but anyway, a good a good pairing for this one too. Well, let's finish up with our bookish hearts, Jen. How many bookish hearts? Well, I feel like it could have been a five heart read if we had read it at a different time. I'm going to give it four right now. Yeah, four bookish hearts for me. Well, we wanted to end today with our flashback, and today we're looking back to December 2022. So this is just one year ago. Jen, what's something you wanted to share? So I thought I'd look back at what we were doing on the podcast last December, and as always, we did our Unabridged Awards. So if you haven't listened to that, we'll link that in the show notes, and hopefully you've listened to our Unabridged Awards that we just released this month, looking at 2023. And then our book club pick last year was Sonia Lolly's Holly Jolly Diwali, which was such a fun and light rom-com that also did have some serious considerations. But I would say overall, my memory of that one is of it being a light, joyful read. So yeah. What about you, Ashley? What's your flashback to a year ago? Whew, well, 2022 was quite a year for, for our family, <laughs> and we moved not once but twice. So in December, we moved in the summer to South Carolina, where we sort of now live, and we in December moved into another area of South Carolina, of Greenville, where we are. And so we had moved in the summer and we're kind of in a temporary situation, and then we moved again, and it was all very hectic, but... Looking back, I'm so glad we did. We, you know, wound up in a neighborhood where we can ride the bike trail right from our neighborhood. We have a lot of community components within the neighborhood and sidewalks. And so it was a stressful time. But looking back now, a year later, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad we did that. (laughs) (laughs) So I think maybe in the moment, it all felt like maybe we're making a mistake. But now, you know, being away from it and having having gotten through the hard part of it that was that's a great memory and that was a good thing for us so that's great my goodness that's it's hard to yeah the timeline is fuzzy until you lay it out like like that so yeah I mean sometimes things is for us that was a great decision it did work out well so sometimes when you look back on things that felt very stressful it's nice to be like oh yeah that that was good <laughs> so, well, we would love to hear what you thought about 2 a.m. at the Cat's Pajamas and what other reading you're doing this holiday season. Definitely let us know. You can find us on the socials at Unabridged Pod, or you can always email us. Thanks so much for listening. 
Do you have comments or opinions about what you heard today? We'd love to hear them. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Unabridged Pod or on the web at unabridgedpod.com for ways to support us. To get more involved, you can sign up for our newsletter, join a buddy read, or become an ambassador. Thanks for listening to Unabridged.